Section six of Honeybee by Anatole Franz, translated by Mrs. John Lane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter seventeen, which tells of the wonderful adventure of George of Blancheland. King Locke did not laugh long indeed he hid the face of a very unhappy little man under the bedclothes he lay awake all night long thinking of george of blancheland prisoner of the nixies so about the hour when such of the dwarfs as have a dairymaid for sweetheart go in her stead to milk the cows while she sleeps in her white bed with folded hands little king locke again sought the astute nur in the depths of his well you did not tell me nur what he is doing down there with the nixies the venerable nur was quite convinced that the king was mad though that did not alarm him because he knew if king locke should lose his reason he would be a most gracious charming amiable and kindly lunatic the madness of the dwarfs is gentle like their reason and full of the most delicious fancies but king locke was not mad at least not more so than lovers usually are i wish to speak of george of blanchesland he said to the venerable nur who had forgotten all about this young man as soon as possible thereupon nur the wise placed a series of lenses and mirrors before the king in an order so exact that it looked like disorder but which enabled him to show the king in a mirror the form of george of blanchland as he was when the nixies carried him away by a lucky choice and a skilful adjustment of instruments the dwarf was able to reproduce for the lovesick king all the adventures of the son of that countess to whom a white rose announced her end and the following expressed in words is what the little man saw in all the reality of form and colour when george was borne away in the icy arms of the daughters of the lake the water pressed upon his eyes and his breast and he felt that he was about to die and yet he heard songs that sounded like a caress and his whole being was permeated by a sense of delicious freshness when he opened his eyes he saw himself in a grotto whose crystal columns reflected the delicate tints of the rainbow at the end of the grotto was a great sea-shell of mother-of-pearl iridescent with the tenderest colours and this served as a daze to the throne of coral and seaweed of the queen of the nixies but the face of the sovereign of the waters shone with a light more tender than either the mother of pearl or the crystal she smiled at the child which her women brought her and her green eyes lingered long upon him friend she said at last be welcome into our world in which you shall be spared all sorrow for you neither dry lessons nor rough sports nothing coarse shall remind you of earth and its toil for you only the songs and the dances and the love of the nixies 
and indeed the women of the green hair taught the child music and dancing and a thousand graces they loved to bind his forehead with the cockle-shells that decked their own tresses but he remembering his country gnawed his clenched hands with impatience years passed and george longed with a passion unceasing to see the earth again the rude earth where the sun burns and where the snow hardens the mother earth where one suffers where one loves the earth where he had seen honey-bee and where he longed to see her again he had in the meantime grown to be a tall lad with a fine golden down on his upper lip courage came with the beard and so one day he presented himself before the queen of the nixies and bowing low said madam i have come with your gracious permission to take leave of you i am about to return to clarides fair youth the queen replied smiling i cannot grant you the leave you ask for i guard you in my crystal palace to make of you my lover madam he replied i am not worthy of so great an honour that is but your courtesy what gallant cavalier ever believes that he has sufficiently deserved his lady's favour besides you are still too young to know your own worth let me tell you fair youth that we do but desire your welfare obey your lady and her alone madam i love honey-bee of clarides i will have no other lady but her a mortal maid the queen cried turning pale but more beautiful still a coarse daughter of men this honey-bee how can you love such a thing i do not know but i know that i love her never mind it will pass and she still held the young man captive by means of the allurements of her crystal abode he did not comprehend the devious thing called a woman he was more like achilles among the daughters of lycomedes than tannhauser in the enchanted castle and that is why he wandered sadly along the walls of the mighty palace searching for an outlet through which to escape but he only saw the splendid and silent empire of the waves sealing his shining prison through the transparent walls he watched the blooming sea anemones and the spreading coral while over the delicate streams of the madrepores and the sparkling shells purple blue and gold fishes made a glitter of stars with a stroke of their tails these marvels he left unheeded for lulled by the delicious songs of the nixies he felt little by little his will broken and his soul grow weak he was all indolence and indifference when one day he found by chance in a gallery of the palace an ancient well-worn book bound in pigskin and studded with great copper nail-heads the book saved from some wreck in mid-ocean treated of chivalry and fair ladies and related at great length 
the adventures of heroes who went about the world redressing wrongs protecting widows and succoring orphans for the love of justice and in honour of beauty george flushed and paled with wonder shame and anger as he read these tales of splendid adventures he could not contain himself i also he cried will be a gallant knight i also will go about the world punishing the wicked and succouring the unfortunate for the good of mankind and in the name of my lady honeybee with sword drawn and his heart big with valour he dashed across the crystal dwellings the white ladies fled and swooned before him like the silver ripples of a lake the queen alone beheld his approach without a tremor she turned on him the icy glance of her green eyes break the enchantment which binds me he cried running towards her open to me the road to earth i wish to fight in the light of the sun like a cavalier i wish to return to where one loves to where one suffers to where one struggles give back to me the life that is real and the light that is real give me back my prowess if not i will kill you you wicked woman with a smile she shook her head as if to refuse beautiful she was and serene with all the strength that was in him george struck her but his sword broke against her glittering breast child she said and she commanded that he be cast into a dungeon which formed a kind of crystal tunnel under her palace and about which sharks roamed with white stretched monstrous jaws armed with triple rows of pointed teeth at every touch it seemed as if they must crush the frail glass wall which made it impossible to sleep in this strange prison the extremity of this undersea tunnel rested on a bed of rock which formed the vaulting of the most distant and unexplored cavern in the empire of the dwarfs and this is what the two little men saw in a single hour and quite as accurately as if they had followed george all the days of his life the venerable nur having described the dungeon scene in all its tragic gloom addressed the king in much the same way as the savoyards speak to the little children when they show their magic lanterns king Loc, he said i have shown you all you wish to see and now that you know all i can add nothing more it's nothing to me whether you liked what you saw it is enough to know that what you saw was the truth science neither cares to please nor to displease she is inhuman it is not science but poetry that charms and consoles and that is why poetry is more necessary than science go king locke and get them to sing you a song and without uttering a word king locke left the well chapter eighteen in which king locke undertakes a terrible journey having left the well of wisdom 
king locke went to his treasure-house and out of a casket of which he alone had the key he took a ring which he placed on his finger the stone set in the ring emitted a brilliant light for it was a magic stone of whose power we shall learn more further on thereupon king locke went to his palace put on a travelling cloak and thick boots and took a stick then he started on a journey across crowded streets great highways villages galleries of porphyry torrents of rock oil and crystal grottoes all of which communicated with each other through narrow openings he seemed lost in deep meditation and he uttered words that had no meaning but he trudged on doggedly mountains obstructed his path and he climbed the mountains precipices opened under his feet and he descended into the precipices he forded streams he crossed horrible regions black with the fumes of sulphur he trudged across burning lava on which his feet left their imprint he had the appearance of a desperately dogged traveller he penetrated into gloomy caverns into which the water of the ocean oozed drop by drop and flowed like tears along the sea-rack forming pools on the uneven ground where countless crustaceans increased and multiplied into hideous shapes enormous crabs crayfish giant lobsters and sea-spiders crackled under the dwarf's feet then crawled away leaving some of their claws behind and in their flight rousing horrible mollusks and octopuses centuries old that suddenly writhed their hundred arms and spat fetid poison out of their bird beaks and yet king locke went on undaunted he made his way to the ends of these caverns through the midst of a heaped-up chaos of shelled monsters armed with spikes with double saw-edged nippers with claws that crept stealthily up to his neck and bleared eyes on swaying tentacles he crept up the sides of the cavern by clinging to the rough surface of the rocks and the mailed monsters crept with him but he never faltered until he recognized by touch a stone that projected from the centre of the natural arch he touched the stone with his magic ring and suddenly it rolled away with a horrible crash and at once a glory of light flooded the cavern with its beautiful waves and put to flight the swarming monsters bred in its gloom as king locke thrust his head into the opening through which daylight poured he saw george of blanchland in his glass dungeon where he was lamenting grievously as he thought of a honey-bee and of earth for king locke had undertaken this subterranean journey only to deliver the captive of the nixies but seeing this huge dishevelled head frowning and bearded watching him from under his tunnel george believed himself to be menaced by a mighty danger and he felt for the sword at his side forgetting that he had broken it against the breast of the woman with the green eyes in the meantime king locke examined him curiously 
pa,' said he to himself. "'It's only a child.' and indeed he was only an ignorant child and it was because of his great ignorance that he had escaped from the deadly and delicious kisses of the queen of the nixies aristotle with all his wisdom might not have done so well what do you want fathead george cried seeing himself defenceless why harm me if i have never harmed you little one king Locke replied in a voice at once jovial and testy you do not know whether or not you have harmed me for you are ignorant of effects and causes and reflections and all philosophy in general but we'll not talk of that if you don't mind leaving your tunnel come this way george at once crept into the cavern slipped down the length of the wall and as soon as he had reached the bottom he said to his deliverer you are a good little man i shall love you forever but do you know where honeybee of clarides is i know a great many things retorted the dwarf and especially that i don't like people who ask questions hearing this george paused in great confusion and followed his guide in silence through the dense black air where the octopuses and crustaceans writhed king Lock said mockingly this is not a carriage road young prince sir george replied the road to liberty is always beautiful and i fear not to be led astray when i follow my benefactor little king Lock bit his lips on reaching the gallery of porphyry he pointed out to the youth a flight of steps cut in the rock by the dwarfs by which they ascend to earth this is your way he said farewell do not bid me farewell george replied say i shall see you again after what you have done my life is yours what i have done king Locke replied i have not done for your sake but for another's it will be better for us never to meet again for we can never be friends i would not have believed that my deliverance could have caused me such pain george said simply and gravely and yet it does farewell a pleasant journey cried king Locke in a gruff voice now it happened that these steps of the dwarfs adjoined a deserted stone quarry less than a mile from the castle of clarades this young lad king Locke murmured as he went on his way has neither the wisdom nor the wealth truly i cannot imagine why honeybee loves him unless it is because he is young handsome faithful and brave as he went back to the town he laughed to himself as a man does who has done someone a good turn as he passed honeybee's cottage he thrust his big head into the open window just as he had thrust it into the crystal tunnel and he saw the young girl who was embroidering a veil with silver flowers i wish you joy honeybee he cried and you also little king Lock seeing you have nothing to wish for and nothing to regret he had much to wish for but indeed he had nothing to regret and it was probably this which gave him such a good appetite for supper 
having eaten a huge number of truffled pheasants he called bob bob said he mount your raven go to the princess of the dwarfs and tell her that george of blanchland long a captive of the nixies has this day returned to glarides thus he spoke and bob flew off on his raven chapter nineteen which tells of the extraordinary encounter of jean the master tailor and of the blessed song the birds in the grove sang to the duchess when george again found himself on the earth on which he was born the very first person he met was jean the master tailor with a red suit of clothes on his arm for the steward of the castle the good man shrieked at sight of his young master holy st james he cried if you are not his lordship george of blanchland who was drowned in the lake seven years ago you are either his ghost or the devil in person i am neither ghost nor devil good jean but i am truly that same george of blanchland who used to creep to your shop and beg bits of stuff out of which to make dresses for the dolls of my sister honeybee then you were not drowned your lordship the good man exclaimed i am so glad and how well you look my little peter who climbed into my arms to see you pass on horseback by the side of the duchess that sunday morning has become a good workman and a fine fellow he is all of that god be praised your lordship he will be glad to hear that you are not at the bottom of the sea and that the fish have not eaten you as he has always declared he was in the habit of saying many pleasant things about it your lordship for he is very amusing and it is a fact that you are much mourned in clarides you are such a promising child i shall remember to my dying day how you once asked me for a needle to sew with and as i refused for you were not of an age to use it without danger you replied you would go to the woods and pick beautiful green pine needles that is what you said and it still makes me laugh upon my soul you said that our little peter also used to say clever things now he is a cooper and at your service your lordship i shall employ no one else but give me news of honeybee and the duchess master jean alack where do you come from your lordship seeing that you do not know that it is now seven years since the princess honeybee was stolen by the dwarfs of the mountain she disappeared the very day you were drowned and one can truly say that on that day clarides lost its sweetest flowers the duchess is in deep mourning and it's that which makes me say that the great of the earth have their sorrows just as well as the humblest artisans if only to prove that we are all the sons of adam and because of this a cat may well look at a king as the saying is and by the same token the good duchess has seen her hair grow white and her gaiety vanish and when in the springtime she walks in her black robes along the hedgerow where the birds sing the smallest of these is more to be envied than the sovereign lady of clarides and yet her grief is not quite without hope your lordship for though she had no tidings of you she at least knows by dreams that her daughter honeybee is alive this and much else said good man jean but george listened no longer after he heard that honeybee was a captive among the dwarfs the 
dwarfs hold honeybee captive under the earth he pondered a dwarf rescued me from my crystal dungeon these little men have not all the same customs my deliverer cannot be of the same race as those who stole my sister he knew not what to think except that he must rescue honeybee in the meantime they crossed the town and on their way the gossips standing on the thresholds of their houses asked each other who was this young stranger but they all agreed that he was very handsome the better informed amongst them having recognized the young lord of blanchelon decided that it must be his ghost wherefore they fled making great signs of the cross he must be sprinkled with holy water said one old crone and he will vanish leaving a disgusting smell of sulphur he will carry away master jean and he will of course plunge him alive into the fire of hell softly old woman a citizen replied his lordship is alive and much more alive than you or i he is as fresh as a rose and he looks as if he had come from some noble court rather than from the other world one does return from a far good dame as witness francor the squire who came back from rome last midsummer day and margaret the helmet-maker having greatly admired george mounted to her maiden chamber and kneeling before the image of the holy virgin prayed holy virgin grant me a husband who shall look precisely like this young lord so each in his way talked of george's return until the news spread from mouth to mouth and finally reached the ears of the duchess who was walking in the orchard her heart beat violently and she heard all the birds in the hedgerow sing quee 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 wee 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 georges de blanchelon quee 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 don't vous avez nourri la france quee 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 estici 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 wee 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 francor approached her respectfully and said your grace george de blanchelond whom you thought dead has returned i shall make it into a song in the meantime the birds sang quee 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 wee 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 il est ici 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 and when she saw the child who had been to her as a son she opened her arms and fell senseless at his feet. End of section 6